Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. We are moving along in the book of John, and we're now in chapter 7. Last week was a really long chapter, 71 verses and 6, and we saw Jesus teach us that he is the bread of life and that many rejected his teaching. We still do today. And this week, we're going to cover Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And I have this in two divisions. First, the dissension at the feast, which goes through verses 1 through 36. And then we see the dissension of unbelief, verses 37 through 53. And we don't know from this gospel how much time had passed since the Sea of Galilee event. But we do know that there were many who wanted Jesus dead now at this time. And most likely, from the time of the Passover to the Feast of the Tabernacles, it would make sense that about six months had passed. And this entire chapter of seven shows a continuing air of dissension, of doubt, and fear regarding Jesus. So imagine the scene in light of the craziness of our world right now. Everyone was divided in their belief regarding Jesus. And he was in their midst right there, and yet they continued to bicker and challenge him and to goad him. And no doubt, this atmosphere was hostile. The people who desired to follow him feared for their lives as well. They were conflicted with their own doubts of belief. Isn't that just like us today? I know there are times all of us as believers have had doubt, and many of us fear to speak up about our faith because of the atmosphere of rejection and hate. And so to understand this story today in chapter 7, we need to understand a bit more about the Feasts of Tabernacles. So there is a significance of these feasts. And going all the way back into Leviticus 23, 34 through 36, Numbers 29, 12 through 39, and Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15, we can gain a historical perspective of this feast. And so after 70 years in captivity, the people celebrated this seven-day celebration in the fall. In fact, right now, in this time of year that I'm recording this, they would set up little tents or booths called tabernacles, and they were constructed of branches and leaves, and inside they would conduct these beautiful feasts. And it's kind of equivalent to what we do on Thanksgiving. So after the Israelites came out of the desert, These little houses or tabernacles 
reminded them of the shelter that God had provided for them while they were on their journey. And for a week, they would go into these little tents and have their own feast on the last day of the festival. And today, many people continue to build these shelters and they eat at least one meal a day in this tabernacle for the seven days. I think that sounds like a grand idea. And if you go and want to Google how some of these people create these tabernacles in their own yards, it's quite fascinating. During the feast, two important ceremonies took place. The Hebrew people carried torches illuminating along the walls of the temple to demonstrate that the Messiah would be a light to the people. Also, the priests would draw water from the pool of Siloam and carry it to the temple where it was poured into a silver basin beside the altar. The priests would call upon the Lord to provide heavenly water in the form of rain for their supply. And during this ceremony, the people looked forward to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus attended the Feast of Tabernacles and spoke these amazing words on the last and greatest days of the feast, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's John 7, 37 through 38. The next morning, while the torches were still burning, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And we see that in John 8, 12. So, so beautiful. Jesus just points out over and over who he is. So now, Let's go back to the problem surrounding the feast into four specific occurrences. First, let's talk about what was happening before the feast. And this is in verses 1 through 13. And we have Jesus's brothers that are mentioned, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. You can also go to Matthew 13, 55 through 56. The brothers were challenging Jesus to show himself to the world. Even they did not believe in him. And so due to their unbelief, the brothers missed being a part of being Jesus's personal disciples. They had lived with him their entire lives, and yet they missed an opportunity of a lifetime. And Jesus responded to them by telling them his time had not yet come. And the important lesson here is everything must be in God's ordained time. And he goes on to tell them that their time is any time they are not from God. Jesus's time was not his own, and his time belonged to God. So each of us as Christians, we have a purpose, and we have work to finish for him. We find in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How many of us claim our time as our own? It's my time. It's I can do whatever I want with my body and my time. So you have to ask yourself, are you wasting your time on things that do not matter in the next life in eternity? 
the next statement that Jesus made about the world not hating them, but hating him specifically, points to believers who look like the world. Therefore, they are not rejected by the world because they fit in. What a slippery slope. Are you a Christian who is afraid to be judged or even hated by the world for your faith in Christ? And so throughout the crowds, officials were watching for Jesus, and the people were arguing about who he was. And this hostility was rampant, yet kept at a murmuring as the people were afraid of the leaders. And so the second thing that happens is during the feast, and this is verses 14 through 36, midway through this feast, Jesus goes to the temple courts to teach. And the Jews were amazed because of the wisdom that came out of Jesus's mouth. They could not wrap their heads around the fact that someone as young as Jesus could possess this much logic and have the knowledge of scriptures as he taught. They knew Jesus had not been schooled like they had, and therefore they were perplexed how he knew so much. But Jesus gives credit to his father. The true source of all intelligence and wisdom is God. And he then challenges them by pointing out that those who choose to do God's will, well, they would recognize his teaching. They should recognize his teaching because they knew the scriptures. Don't you recognize God's teachings? And if so, does that reflect in your life? Do you reflect his light? Jesus points out that they are also breaking the Sabbath law by plotting to kill him. The crowd calls him demon-possessed, and they don't know the extent to which the officials wish to have Jesus killed. Jesus tells them the irony of the circumcision on the Sabbath. Circumcision is also work, just as they accuse Jesus of doing work on the Sabbath. And he explains that he will be be with them for only a short time. And where he is going, they could not come. And those of us today who believe and follow Jesus, we know where he is right now. And we know that we will be able to be there with him. So again, the people are confused by these teachings of Jesus. And so in the second part, Now we have the dissension of unbelief from verses 37 through 53, the last day of the feast, 37 through 44. And so as shared in the above about this feast of tabernacles, Jesus is now showing them his connection to Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Jesus says loudly, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And his reference to flowing water within believers clearly points to the future of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we all received when Jesus died on that cross. And again, the people are divided in their belief. They had no knowledge of where Jesus was born, and they argued this because They only knew that Jesus came from Galilee, and then he was with the Sanhedrin, verses 45 through 53. 
the temple guards are infuriated that Jesus was not brought to them. And imagine hearing the guards' excuse of never having heard anyone teach the way Jesus did. They imply that anyone who believes in Jesus is unschooled and uninformed. Have you heard that in your life? Oh, you crazy Christians, y'all will just believe anything. You're weak people. You're so misguided. Well, this has been going on since Jesus' time, so don't feel like you're um, all alone here. And one of the leaders, Nicodemus, speaks up, reminding them about their own protocol for judgment by a fair trial. And obviously, from Nicodemus's earlier meeting with Jesus, he held Jesus in high esteem, and he was willing to risk his own position to defend him. Later in John, we're going to see Nicodemus enter the story one more time. So how do you apply these truths from John chapter 7? Number one, do you, like Jesus, experience criticism and rejection within your family, your place of work, or your circle of friends? And two, what is your purpose for Christ on this earth? Three, are there areas of faith that you hide in order to fit in? Mm, That's a tough question. Four, how do you reflect the light of Jesus? And five, like Nicodemus, how do you need to stand up for Jesus? What hard things is he calling you to do? And lastly, Write a heartfelt prayer to Jesus, thanking him for what he is doing in your life. Ask him to show you areas he needs you to step up, and then you need to step up for his kingdom. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 